0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, July 28th. We begin with a look at Wednesday night's UCP leadership debate held in Medicine Hat. We get the thoughts of Jeffrey Hale, professor of political science at the University of Lethbridge.
1: Next, it's our monthly conversation with the Calgary Chamber. We speak with Ruhi Ismail Teja, the Chamber's Director of Policy and Communications. Ruhi brings us details on the impact this year's Stampede had on local businesses, as well as a look at the challenges ahead as we move into the fall.
0: And finally, ahead of Pope Francis's visit to Iqaluit, the Nunavut capital is taking steps to Revoked the tax-exempt status of religious institutions. We discussed the proposal with Jeff Semple, digital broadcast journalist with Global News.
1: All seven UCP leadership candidates squared off in the first official debate of the race last night with details on what went on. We're joined this morning by Jeffrey Hale, professor of political science at the University of Lethbridge. Good morning to you this morning, Professor. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Uh, We had some technical difficulties, apparently, that made it very difficult for folks to actually tune in and be able to hear the debate. Uh, Do you think that could have an impact on on anybody's thoughts and, and takeaways from last night's debate?
2: Well, it certainly didn't help, but they, uh, I think, we're relatively early on in the game, uh, and uh, people will take a variety of pieces of information and, uh, in both determining whether to get involved and, and, uh, and who they
0: should support. Your greatest takeaway of, of, of who stood out from the crowd, uh, Professor Hale, you know, I, I guess if we could pick a winner or pick somebody who didn't come across as, as well as they could have?
2: I think the I don't think there was anybody who stood out as a winner in the seven candidate field. Uh, Danielle Smith was certainly the target of virtually every other candidate, except Todd Lowen. Uh, She is the most experienced and the most polished communicator. Uh, The uh, the newcomers in the field had a chance for some exposure, and I think the one who probably took best advantage of that in terms of her crisp, the crispness of her communication style was uh, Rebecca Schultz. Um, Brian Jean tried to be folksy. How well it worked, I guess, depends on what you were looking for.
1: Do you think, you know, in terms of watching how they all acted, behaved, interacted, do you think any of those seven at this point um, have the ability to, you know, unite the UCP? Because, you know, we talk about one that was attacked, Danielle Smith. She's also the most polarizing, I would say. But is there anybody that kind of came across as as sort of being able or had any ideas on uniting the UCP at
2: this point? Uh, Brian Jean has uh, made an effort to reach out to uh, and 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 demonstrate supportiveness to other candidates by helping them get their names on the ballot. Uh, uh, I think there was, aside from Daniel Smith, there wasn't a great deal of uh, interpersonal sniping. Uh, the much will depend on whether aggrieved members of caucus feel they are heard by the next leader and whether they're willing to give that person a chance.
0: On the topic of Danielle Smith, uh, she has been quite vocal about her want to bring in a bill to give Alberta the power to ignore federal laws and court rulings. Uh, you know, I'm wondering, would this even be a possibility? Or is she just posturing to her base with this notion that, that this could happen? Uh, the
2: the idea is out there. Pardon, pardon me. I'm but to sneeze. Uh, the idea is out there, and uh, it. It will depend on whether, uh, if she was elected, she chose to use uh, the, the party discipline to enforce that. I think that would hurt her if she did. Governments which ignore the rule of law, uh, whether dramatically or uh, by uh, erosion, by visibly not, not following their own rules, uh, do tend to discredit themselves with a large part of the public.
1: Do you think these debates are, are important? Do they play a role, Professor?
2: Uh, given the fact that there are only three candidates who have significant name recognition, and most Albertans uh, have not been that exposed to most of the leadership candidates, I think it does provide an opportunity for exposure. Uh, it's these aren't game breakers, but they, you know, they're important parts of. Uh, both the general public and people who are oriented to the Conservatives, uh, uh, deciding how they want to get involved, if they want to get involved.
0: One of your uh, colleagues at Mount Royal University uh, in Calgary, uh, Dwayne Brad, come out and he mentioned the importance of that first debate, how, how wholly important it is for those first impressions. You had mentioned that, you know this was, of course, the first one, but there are more to come. Do you think that any candidate can make a lot of ground in in the coming debates, or was this really the the most important, the paramount one? Uh,
2: in terms of membership sales, this is the only debate before the membership sales cut off uh, in the middle of August. Uh, for those uh, for those members who uh, uh, <clears throat> haven't made up their minds, there's one more chance. So, uh basically the, the idea of the first introduction is an excellent point and uh uh it will depend on the it will depend on the outreach of the organizations to, to, to get people signed up. Uh certainly there's a disproportionate number of members uh in small town and rural Alberta uh, compared to Calgary and Edmonton. And uh it it's gonna be interesting to see whether the various candidates' organizations can actually get people's attention in the middle of summer, uh, given that an awful lot of people are traveling and trying to enjoy Mm -hmm. uh, the world after two years of pandemic restrictions.
1: You know, you talk about the the buying of the membership, and I saw at least one person on Facebook, so I'm curious about this, your thoughts on it. Um, One person was going to buy a membership so that they could vote against a certain candidate. And then somebody else said, don't ever give your money to a party that you don't agree with what their message is overall, that sort of thing. So, you know, how do you feel about joining these parties, you know, getting a membership in something like that to, to go against a candidate? Uh,
2: well, it's certainly a well-established practice in Alberta because of the traditional dominance of the Conservatives. Uh, we saw that in 2012 uh, with, uh, with the, you know, the, the, the candidate, you know, for with one particular candidate. Uh, where the teachers and nurses unions piled in big time. So, uh, I think this is this is one of the changes that has taken place. We actually have a uh, a 30 day cutoff before the ballots are due for memberships to be sold. And I think that uh, if, if people want to join to get it to to cast a negative vote, it is their it is their privilege to do so. Uh, but uh, the systems are a lot tighter now than they were, uh, let's say, when Ralph Klein was running for office or when Ed Stelmack was elected.
0: Very uh, interesting. We appreciate your analysis, and thanks for your time, Professor. My pleasure. That is Jeffrey Hale, Professor of Political Science at the University of Lethbridge. And it's interesting. I thought there'd be more fireworks. I I honestly Mm -hmm. thought there would be. It, It sounds like Danielle Smith was the target, but she's been the most vocal of, and know, she's the
1: most controversial with absolutely. the things she says, so it's does, you know, follow yeah, makes that would sense. happen.
0: Uh, but, you know, still, you know, these platforms, and I like how he described Brian Jean as uh, trying to be more folksy. Mm-hmm. you, you got to have your identity. I think you got to stand out Agree. for the right reasons. But I think in the end, and again, this is different than the actual vote that we'll be into very early next year. This is the UCP leadership race. But... I think you, you've you got to you know explain what you're interested in and, and what direction you want to take, not just the mudslinging. And uh, you got to see who it aligns with you. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting few months.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, if you take all the time just attacking somebody else, you have no time to tell people who no. you are and what you stand for. So I think you're right. That is the the premier thing you should be worrying
0: about. That, well, I guess that's what we have to do if, if you're a UCP mm-hmm. member or anybody in any election, your own due diligence. You can't rely on... You know, just the odd soundbite here and there. Yeah, 100%.
1: So how are Calgary's small businesses weathering the storm of economic uncertainty in the face of inflation and rising costs? Joining us to talk about it is Ruhi Ismail Teja, and she is the Director of Policy and Communications for the Calgary Chamber. Good morning to you, Ruhi. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How important are entrepreneurs, the self-employed, the small mom-and-pop shops, how crucial are they to Calgary's economy?
3: small businesses are really important. And I think uh, we often est- underestimate just how important. And we've got uh, 63% of business of people are employed by small businesses and they generate over 40% of national GDP. So they're a big deal. And, and 95% of our businesses in Calgary fall into the category of small businesses. So uh, they do a lot to keep our economy going and, uh, and we're working to make sure that they can continue to operate because it hasn't been an easy couple of years
0: mm-hmm. has not been an easy couple of years ruhi well, let's talk about something our biggest festival finally back this year the calgary exhibition and stampede it was good to see people coming out and i'm sure there was uh, you know a, a bump in businesses what have you heard from from members as far as the impact the stampede has had on these small businesses
3: Well, we've had a, a couple of good months between a, a pretty good playoff run and stampede and uh, seen a lot more people downtown. We saw visitor numbers back to 2015 levels, which is great. Um, it was way more guests than we expected at the Stampede. So that's all uh, just fantastic. And I think really helps with how everyone's feeling of, uh, of feeling a sense of optimism as we move forward. Um, but it's not entirely the windfall that we wish. There's still a lot of headwinds facing businesses. Things like inflation, talented labor challenges, making it more expensive to hire people. Supply chains are still a problem, and um, interest rates uh, are ma- matter a lot to businesses that have taken on debt through the pandemic. So um, there's good news, but we're, we're very cautious that there's a lot of challenges for businesses that still lie ahead.
1: How does the Chamber help with that? Challenges, for sure, more than ever before. So, you know, what do you do in terms of helping our, our small businesses, particularly in the City of Calgary?
3: So great question. Our role is really to represent businesses. We're fully funded by our business members. Uh, and so we basically work with government to help make sure that businesses have a clear path to be able to operate. And so in this context, it's things like keeping costs low, things like property tax, corporate tax, income tax, all of those pieces but also making sure that businesses are able to operate in the environment that they need to. So making sure that Calgary is vibrant and we have a great downtown that helps attract talent, uh, ensuring that we have a safe city, making sure that it's clear for businesses on how they need to operate and and what they need to do to be able to start and scale a business. Uh, And another really important thing we do is celebrate small
0: businesses because
3: they do deserve celebrating. And so we've got our Small Business Week awards coming up as well.
0: Uh, you know, the economic hit when it comes to infl- inflation, we all know that as consumers. We know that businesses have to spend more for the goods that they use to do their thing. But I want to focus on, Ruhi, if we can, talent and labor challenges facing Calgary business as far as what you hear from your members, as far as getting uh, the people to, to, to help with them, getting those human resources. What are you hearing?
3: It's a huge challenge right now. Uh, we know that there's a lot of businesses really struggling. And uh, in fact, um, 44% of businesses in Calgary are worried that labor challenges are going to bi- limit their businesses' ability to grow. So that's a huge sector of, uh, of our, our businesses and not small and big businesses. But it's really right across the board that we see that as a challenge. Um, it's getting more expensive for people to be able to hire uh, you see a lot more kind of churn of people moving around in their roles and that creates additional kind of uncertainty and instability for businesses as they're trying to get back on their feet.
1: Roo, we want to give you a chance to talk about this before we let you go, but the Calgary Small Business Awards are coming up. What exactly are they and how do people apply to be involved?
3: Great question, and let's end on a very happy note. Uh, the Small Business Awards are open uh, until August 19th. Nominations are open until no- August 19th. Head to calgarychamber.com. It's totally free to nominate your favorite business or your own business, uh, and the more businesses, the better. We'll be celebrating everyone on October
0: 21st. Excellent. Good stuff there. Uh, you know, got some time to get that together. Thank you so much for your time, Ruhi. We appreciate it. And uh, Absolutely. I want to direct people to your website uh, because, you know, we want to know what's happening. Where can we find you?
3: Calgarychamber.com, and you'll have all the information about what we're up to on the advocacy side and how to apply for
0: our small business awards. Good stuff. Thank you so much.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: That is Ruhi Ismail Ataja, of course, Director of Policy and Communications with Calgary Chamber. Uh, they do great work. And I think often Huge. there may be people out there Who have the ideas? They have the ideas. They have the skill. They have something unique that they want to offer. So they start a business, and then they might get caught up in the, uh, you know, uh, the the day to day, and not realize that if you're having an issue with something, there's a chance another business had a similar issue. And there's a network. There's a hub. Mm -hmm. It's called the Calgary Chamber. So often, you know, this might not be part of your business plan is is joining the Calgary Chamber, but. Certainly worth your while, I think, because the strength in numbers, the, the vast experience you can draw from, not just business owners, but who are doing that in this community, so they know some of the unique challenges to Calgary as well.
1: Support is key, right? Uh, so just to remind you again, Calgary Small Business Awards, the deadline to apply, August 19th. You can nominate your own business. You can nominate another business. You can just apply and make it simple and get yourself in on that. Again, August 19th is a deadline. The awards themselves in October. Calgarychamber.com. Pope Francis will head north to Iqaluit, Nunavut on Friday, the last stop on his pilgrimage of penance. Ahead of the visit from the pontiff, Iqaluit is moving to revoke the tax-exempt status for religious institutions. With details on this, we're joined this morning by Jeff Semple, Global News senior digital broadcast journalist. Good morning to you, Jeff. Thanks for being with us.
4: Hey, good morning. Great to be with
1: you. Can you give us a little background on this? Why is Iqaluit now revoking the property tax exemption for religious institutions?
4: Yeah, so this process actually started, it was a bylaw uh, originally proposed by the mayor of Iqaluit, which of course is the capital of Nunavut, our northernmost city, um, and a city that was hit hard uh, by the legacy of residential schools.
2: I mean, per capita, the north was hit harder than anywhere in Canada, just because there is so its
4: large indigenous population. And so the mayor, Kenny Bell, following the discovery of these those unmarked graves last year, proposed this bylaw that would basically changed the rules now they 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 changed it a little bit along the way at first it was just going to be part for churches were going to have to pay property taxes from now on uh and of course in iqaluit like like many municipalities in canada churches do not have to pay property tax nor do they have to pay income tax federally um they're exempt from all of that and have been for for many years so the had proposed changing that after the discovery of unmarked graves, and so what they've done after tinkering with the bylaw is they proposed, uh, or they've now passed the, this bylaw, so it is now in effect, which means that starting in next year, starting in 2023, churches, as well as other community groups, will have to apply for tax relief. Uh, there's a series of pretty strict conditions, and there's a cap on the tax relief, so it seems all but certain that... Churches will, and in that community, will receive either no tax relief or only partial tax relief moving forward.
0: Jeff, how is this change being received by the church and the local community? What What are you hearing?
4: Yeah, I attended Sunday morning mass uh, recently in, Catholic, in the Calabasas only Catholic church, and uh, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, this is not good news and is not being received very well. The the priest of the Catholic church said that this likened this to revenge, saying that the church was being unfairly punished. The local church was being unfairly punished for uh, the sins of of the Vatican and the broader church network. He also worried that the tax would mean that the church would no longer be allowed, be able to provide many of the services that it does currently for free, from weddings to funerals to hospital visits or prison visits, um, that some of those services would have to stop. And he worried that some churches in the community might even be pushed into bankruptcy, as a result of this tax. Now, you know, a lot of, I talked to members of the congregation, the parishioners about this tax. It's very polarizing in the community, um, which is interesting in part because despite the legacy of residential schools and the traumatic history of the church in these northern communities, uh, Nunavut actually and Akalawit have a large percentage of Christians. According to Statistics Canada, three-quarters of the population of Iqaluit identifies as Christian. Um, so you have, you know, a lot of people who are against this bylaw, not just you know the priests and, and the ministers, but but a lot of ordinary people as well.
1: Is this a first? I mean, there's been lots of talk of this, but is this a first? Actually, perhaps going ahead, any any other parts of Canada reevaluating this tax exempt status for religious yes. institutions?
4: Yeah, and it's, it's, I mean, and there are some municipalities. Um, I don't have the list in front of me, but there are some in Canada that that have already taken this step, uh, and it was sort of done sort of separately. Their taxation works differently, and part of the reason is there's not a clear answer to that question. as it is a bit of a dog's breakfast in terms of, um, you know, property tax law. I mean, across the municipalities of this country, but generally speaking, no. This is this is. Uh, I mean, especially in this context, this is a first. We, as far as we know, seeing a municipality take this step in the wake of the finding of the unmarked graves and uh, to pass the bylaw, you know, just weeks before the arrival of Pope Francis in their community, uh, certainly this, this stands out as, a, as unique in this case.
0: Interesting uh, conversation. Thank you for your time this morning, Jeff. Thanks so much. That is Jeff Semple, a senior digital broadcast journalist uh, with Global News, and it's... To, to to me, this conversation and to say, okay, this is, uh, you know, I guess revenge. We've been talking about this. This has been a, a topic that's kind mm-hmm. of been on the table, or I mean, in coffee shops, should churches. You know, be exempt from taxation, and I think the time has come. Especially, well, well, not so much for that quote-unquote revenge factor, but we've talked about the cost of the Pope's visit to Canada. Yeah. And then what has come up is how much money they have in their little bank account. (laughs) I'm not trying to be over the top. I mean, if you, if you're the church is very rich. Everybody has has big bucks. Yeah. And you know and we're giving them tax breaks.
1: That discussion as well—that you know they they provide uh, you know uh, services to the community. Well, only parts of the community. It depends. That's a good point. They don't provide services for yeah. the Catholic Church anyway. For the LGBTQ community, for mm-hmm. example. So, you know, they're only providing these services for a portion. Why shouldn't they be paying taxes yeah. like every other organization? The food
0: bank doesn't turn anybody uh, away mm-hmm. whatsoever, and there's no commitment. there's no strings attached. But say there's a process. But...